Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. I'm thrilled to bring you today's episode of the podcast. I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing Kara Page and Erica Woodland, co-editors of Healing Justice Lineages, Dreaming at the Crossroads of Liberation, Collective Care and Safety, published by North Atlantic Books, available now anywhere books are sold. And I wanted to drop this episode today because today happens to be my mother Clara's birthday, her 80th birthday. And given the conversation Kara and Erica had with me that we all had about ecosystems and lineages and healing, it just felt like the perfect time to drop this episode. So I hope you enjoy listening, and I'm going to share a little bit about Kara and Erica now. Kara Page is a Black queer feminist cultural memory worker, curator, and organizer. For the past 30 plus years, she has organized with Black, Indigenous, and people of color, queer, trans, lesbian, gay, bi, intersex, gender, non-conforming liberation movements in the U.S. and global South at the intersections of racial, gender and economic justice, reproductive justice, healing justice, and transformative justice. She's the founder of Changing Frequencies, an abolitionist organizing project that designs cultural memory work to disrupt harms and violence from the medical industrial complex. Their vision is to amplify and honor communal stories toward healing and transformative futures. She is also co-founder of the Healing Histories Project and co-founder of the Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective. Erica Woodland is an LCSW licensed clinical social worker a black, queer, trans, masculine facilitator, consultant, psychotherapist, and healing justice practitioner who has worked at the intersections of movements for racial, gender, economic, trans, and queer justice and liberation for more than 20 years. He has extensive experience working with youth, people of color, LGBTQ people, and people with disabilities across the United States. Erica is the founding director of the National Queer and Trans Therapist of Color Network, a healing justice organization that actively works to transform mental health for queer and trans black, indigenous and people of color. Under his leadership, the National Queer and Trans Therapist of Color Network has trained and mobilized hundreds of mental health practitioners committed to intervening on the legacy of harm and violence of the medical industrial complex while building liberatory models of care rooted in abolition. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you order Healing Justice Lineages right now, and thanks for listening. Erica and Kara, I am thrilled to be in space with you both today to hear a little bit about who you are and what you're up to and Healing Justice Lineages, your book and body of work. 
And so I would love to have you all begin by calling yourselves into this space and sharing anything you would like to about who you are, what you're up to in the world, how you practice, just any way that you want to call yourself in, including if there are ancestors you want to call in or the land you're on, you can do that as well. But I'd like to open in that, that way. And whoever wants to begin, could begin. I'm happy to start. My name is Erica Woodland. Um, I use he, him, his pronouns. And I'm currently based and was born um, in Baltimore, also known as the land of the Piscataway. And I come to this conversation and to this work by way of my amazing mother, who's now an ancestor, who really helped to shape um, my understanding of uh, the requirement that care be part of our um, relational practice and our political practice. And um, my maternal ancestors are from North and South Carolina, so calling them into the space. And I also want to call in a recent ancestor, Marshall Eddie Conway, um, who we actually featured in the book, who passed just after the, the book was released. Um, and he's had a really immense impact on my political and spiritual consciousness and how I came to the work of healing justice. So I've been I've been at this work at the intersection of abolition um, and care for 20 years, and that's looked a lot of different ways. But currently, I'm the founding director of the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network, and we are trying to get QT BIPOC therapists together around abolition um, and to think about how we collectively divest from carceral strategies and the medical industrial complex and we're really clear that we need inside outside strategies in that work um, and that we all have a role to play and we wanna make sure we're in formation in the right way for our movements for liberation. Thank you, Erica. Yeah, Kara. Yes, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm Kara Page, she, her, hers. I'm here on Lenape Munsi land, also known as Brooklyn, New York by way of my ancestors uh, from Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina, and calling in my maternal great-grandmother, Victoria Bay, whose birthday I share as we approach March 10th, um, and my father, who passed several years ago, Dr. Sabor Bay, who we very much were in conversation all the time, about being survivors of violence and understanding our relationship to care and safety and the possibility of how we can perpetuate harm and be survivors of harm and how do we transform these cycles of harm and abuse in our lives. And that has deeply impacted my work on all the way through on healing justice. I've been doing this work for over 30 years and come to this by way of cultural work and seeing much of my cultural work as healing justice in its embodiment of understanding how story and our relationship to sites of harm and abuse in the medical and prison industrial complex, how story can transform or elevate or name harms and abuses that have happened to our communities and how creating cultural work, including installations, 
And testimonials can move those stories into release of grief and healing towards transformation. I also come by my work um, as I call on my other um, comrades in the Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective. We are co-architects of the Healing Justice Framework um, and always conduits of our ancestors who moved Black liberatory Southern traditions of care through us to get us to manifest healing justice. Thank you, Kara and, and Erica. Thanks for calling yourselves into the space. And in many ways, I feel like grounding us in the conversation we are, we are going to have, the conversation that will unfold. You named some of this when you called yourselves in. I'm curious about because both of you have been doing this work for quite a long time, and I hesitate to say work because it sounds like it's practice and a way of living. So I've been practicing in this way for quite a long time, and I imagine your practice has evolved over time, which I want to ask about in just a moment. And I want to now ask about the culmination of your experience and um, how that translated into healing justice lineages, like what the process was like of, of creating this body of work in this way in book form. So that's my first question. I have 18 others, but I'm going to start there. Like what brought you to this moment in creating this kind of physical manifestation of your work in the form of healing justice lineages? Yes, beautiful question. One of the 18 <laughs> on the journey. Um, I mean, I do want to say here, which I, I probably don't say often enough, is that Erica and I have had the the honor, the, the journey to co-weave and co-create these stories, ceremony, um, political, radical thinking um, in this book as the first iteration of what the purpose, the true purpose of healing justice is. Because Erica actually called me into a conversation on the commodification and co-optation of healing justice in our movements, um, in public health, in, shoot, in um, reformist, prison reform politics. Um, hearing people use the term and they were not rooted in abolition. They had no idea it came from a Southern Black feminist liberatory lens uh, and did not make the um, connections to critical analysis rooted in disability justice, transformative justice, environmental justice, reproductive justice, and what we are now naming as liberatory harm reduction from our dear comrade and friend Shira Hassan's book, Saving Our Own Lives, and a chapter in our book. So I, I just wanted to, to name that because this is an intervention. <laughs> this ceremony <laughs> of a book, of a, of a collaborative, collective story, there are many voices in this book and many that are not in this book. But we, as I mentioned, are on the first iteration of a journey, a complex journey to lay down healing justice as a political liberatory framework, which in its onset has always been about a framework to integrate into our social justice movements, 
that seeks to intervene on generational trauma and build collective power towards resistance by really holding and honoring collective care and safety as integral to our political liberation. And that if and when we are going to get our people free to understand how practitioners and healers and cultural workers are part of building that freedom and centering our collective care work as part of liberation. Yes, Kara, that's so beautiful. What I want to name is that Kara was on the our inaugural advisory board for the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network. So that framework came into our organization by way of CARA, by way of Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective. And this project is really um, the manifestation of so many relationships that we've all been tending to over a number of decades. And so CARA and I have been working together for almost 10 years now. And we started to work even more closely together during the context of COVID, um, really responding to the immense trauma and violence of the pandemic in the state's lack of response to the pandemic, um, and also the resistance um, around the uprisings of 2020, and also all of the beautiful um, expressions of mutual aid that we saw in our community. And it was really a moment to say, even in this horror and tragedy, like our peoples, we can still provide for one another. Um, and how do we amplify those stories of care? Um, that are rooted in our political liberation? And how do we do that in a way to really clap back around the the misappropriation and co-optation of healing justice, which I still feel very strongly about. And I'm glad that Kara answered the call because when I got to fully embrace healing justice as a framework, it made so many other things possible, um, especially as a mental health practitioner, especially as someone who's been organizing around abolition and had my own experiences of burnout and and lost a lot of folks emotionally, spiritually, psychically, um, and physically to this work, right? And knowing that our ancestors are, are always wanting more for us. But this project has been such a gift because I feel like my thinking around this has been so sharpened through the research that we did, through the conversations that we've had, and also even in conversations like this, I feel like I'm learning so much more about healing justice and where it comes from um, and what its future is gonna look like. Mm -hmm. Thank you both Erica and Kara and, and sharing how this came into being and that it's, it's one iteration, right? It's alive and dynamic as you all named and Erica, what you just named about learning so much through the conversation about it which I think is, it's not, it's not rigid, right? You're, you have some wisdom, right? That's very clear. And you're learning along the way too. And it sounds like calling people into this. And of course, this is a collaborative project in the ways that you all just shared. And I'm, I'm curious about, there are two thoughts, but one question is about, and you started to name it, Erica, the, the moment, the sort of, um, you all began to talk about this project in this way, I'll say, and, and came into community and conversation around COVID and, and a moment of tragedy is what you said. And um, I mean, I feel like we've been in, well, decades, centuries of, you know, these moments of tragedy and it feels unrelenting at times. And I'm also curious like about what this moment needs, like what do we most need at this time? And what would you offer? It's a full framework 
So I don't mean for you to pick out one piece of it. I'm feeling the urgency of the time and also know there's not one way to respond to it. So I'm clear about that as I ask this question. And I'm curious to know like what you all would say about what is most needed to meet the moment we're in, knowing it's, it's one moment in a long line of moments where tragedies have occurred. Um, so I, I would just love for you all to speak to that, not as a like, here's a list of what we do, even though there is a framework and way of being in practice. I, I more ask this question because I'm constantly seeking an answer to this question about what is, how do we meet the moment? So that's really the essence of the question. Erica, you want to start it off? I'm happy to start. I mean, it's a great question that I think the book is trying to speak to over and over again. Um, and what I think what this moment needs is for us to understand that we are in a moment in a lar larger context of history um, and that we need to understand the larger cycles and the kind of chapters closing and chapters opening of this time. When we open the book, we're really clear <laughs> that like, there is like immense cosmic shifts happening right now. And we actually have a lot of wisdom traditions that speak to this time, speak to this moment that we can draw from. Um, and it's really helpful, at least for me and grounding when we're in moments um, like this, to remember that our ancestors have also traversed moments like this, right? And that they are with us and that they are always giving us gifts from the past for the present and the future. And I think there's a way that we need to align around how we're assessing the moment. And I think I've learned a lot about that from listening to Kara share about healing justice and this piece around really understanding context and conditions. And if we don't have an accurate assessment of what's happening, then our strategy <laughs> and our intervention is not going to get us where we wanna go. And there, when we look at the ways that trauma of all types is, is moving through our communities, our families, our movements, um, when we look at the ways that state violence is increasing and targeting and criminalizing so many of us, right? Who've been criminalized since the origin of this political project of the United States that there's a lot that's getting in the way of us being able to clearly discern what's happening. And so I think a lot of what I think this moment calls for is strategies for us to tend to that, right? To tend to, how do we reconnect back to ourselves? How do we reconnect back to the land? How do we reconnect to this rich lineage at our back around liberation? How do we call ourselves home <laughs> holistically, right? And we need everybody to play a role in that. So I think there's clearly a role for our healing and spiritual practitioners. Um, there's absolutely a role for our organizers. And what we know is that all of us have to get aligned around a radical vision for what we want for our people. And there are a lot of structures set up to keep us disconnected. And so, you know, to Kara's point earlier about this as part of a larger intervention, we're trying to shift people towards um, something that we know can help get us free. And we don't all have to be doing the exact same thing, but we do need to be aligned around a set of values and principles. And we need to be aligned around practice and process and bring discipline and rigor back to our praxis. Yes, yes, beautifully said. Um, I just want to add a few things. You know, this is an unlikely alliance here. Erica and I, yes, we have been on the 10-year-plus journey 
and the book, shout out to North Atlantic Books for giving us the vehicle to lay this down. Um, but the political conversation and dialogue necessary between allopathic medical practitioners, between transformative therapists, between energy, earth, body-based healers and spiritual practitioners, that necessity, especially for Black, Indigenous, people of color, immigrant and refugee communities, um, dis dis disability and communities and queer and trans, the necessity for us to center our vision and think about how it is part of the colonialist project, if you will, or historical political project to divide us and not have us be in relationship to understanding the need to be culling story practice lessons learned mistakes made on how our care our psychic physical emotional spiritual environmental care can look how it has evolved based on slavery attempted genocide colonization structural oppression and what it can become, that there weren't enough spaces in the early 2000s, probably in the early 1900s, you know, um, to have these kinds of dialogues that pushed us to say, how has my school of thought invisibilized your school of thought? How have my practices criminalized your practices, erased your practices? And where are our practices together killing? or sustaining our people. And so to really get under the root of that has been revolutionary. And healing justice is a vehicle to do that kind of work. And to meet this kind of moment, I was just writing a piece on COVID and thinking about this global pandemic, which pushed us to our edges, I feel, we always talk about, Erica and I, about the new portals that we saw opening. And now we're seeing them close as rapidly as they opened. And people want to return to normalcy, I say, quote, unquote, when that normalcy never worked for our communities, <laughs> right? So just understanding what this moment brings for possibility, because we have now as a planet seen something that we would have never thought was possible in all the violence, in all the harm, and in all the growth and cosmologies that shifted. Mm -hmm. You all are, are making me think about the moment, this moment, and what, what you just named, Kara, about people's, some people's, I think, desire to move back to normalcy, whatever that was, and that wasn't working, right? And the like rapid return to that or desire for that, which trips me up a lot of the time because we're not done with COVID. It's still happening. And, and the I keep thinking about recovery and and that some folks want to sort of skip over that phase of healing. Like we're actually in recovery or we're trying to we're like have PTSD and are trying to figure out what just happened to us and what continues to happen. It's like both at the same time. I think about trauma and I'm I'm curious to know for you all 
because of the way you just spoke about the portal opening and I think opportunity there and illumination, right? And what was revealed or what had always been true, but just was highlighted in this way that was a bit quite different because of the experience of COVID and this global pandemic. So the portal opening and closing, and I'm curious just personally in your own practice and being, what helps you be present to it all? And this may be a strange question, but it's kind of like some people knew we were having a portal experience and some people did not. Um, and there's the like, I want it to be a routine or normal or, you know, if that was working for me or I'm not even going to look at how that wasn't. I always think about people who have some consciousness around what's actually going on and different realms of experience in the ways you all have spoken about. And I'm because for me, sometimes I have trouble staying. I mean, I'm grounded and on earth and in this body, but I have trouble because I'm like, what is going on and what are people doing? And what are we doing to each other when I can see different things happening at the same time? And sometimes I wonder if other folks are having that experience of feeling into like, we're not done with COVID. It's still happening. What do people need now? There was healing that needed to be attended to before COVID happened, right? So I'm curious to know what helps you stay present to these different, I don't know if they're realms of experience or awarenesses of experience or consciousness. I'm not sure of the right word or if the question makes sense, but I'm thinking about people who are awake in the way you're describing, because I think it um, can be discombobulating is what I'll say in my own experience. I don't want to project that onto you all. So I'm just curious about your thoughts about that. I mean, I can jump in to start it off is, Yes, thank you for saying what you said. And and by no means, and I want to complicate this by offering, I know for some people there's safety in normalcy. Um, we're just questioning what that normal means, you know, and what has been taken from us literally by um, dismissing or removing our genetic materials and knowledge of knowing what feels good, <laughs> what feels powerful without it being in relationship to being an object, being a commodity, being as Black people, as Indigenous people, as queer and trans people, like always being in relationship to labor for a wealthy elite or being enslaved for others, never being taken care of purely for the sake of being able to take care of each other and ourselves without that being related to racial capitalism, period, right? Or a level of production that has never been for, by, or about us, right? So, and this this opportunity to imagine collective care and safety in response to another heightened moment of violence, right? We're on the onset of global war. Like I'm sitting here thinking, what is what is normal about the level of violence and war we're experiencing? I was like, oh, well, that is kind of normal, right? We're used to experiencing this. Um, and to imagine the heightened anti-Asian violence during COVID and the anti-Black violence, anti-Black policing. I mean, there's so many elements here of hate and harm that we're living inside of. It's absolutely overwhelming. And I know that 
I am constantly leaning into what is my relationship to to humanity in the most core way, like a sort of in the framework of healing justice in the South, we were always rooted in place when we began the conversation on what does collective care and safety look like? And what that meant for us was, well, well, what is being rooted in place? It is to understand that our relationship to the land, literally, the rivers, the lakes, and what have you, that we were touching, were deeply in relationship to our survival and to our livelihood, right? We even used the term resilience until the state took it, you know, and co-opted it. But it was very important to ground in our relationship to land, our relationship to each other's lived experiences and all the bodies we came in, right? Disabled bodies, queer and trans bodies, migrant bodies, uh, you know, black and brown bodies, um, poor rural bodies, what have you. We really looked at a, a... a connection of land, bodies, spirit, and economies. That that four quadrant, if you will, is how we mapped healing justice. We talk about it in the book as well, because for us, when we evolved as the Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective, a multiracial, multi-gender, cross-class, cross-regional Southern folk coming together to say, we want to imagine a world that values and honors our traditions, not just of healing, but actually of living, of living fully and being in relationship to our bodies and our lands and our lives. And I know this might sound really esoteric and sci-fi, even though I love these sci-fi, but it, it was crucial because we were facing immense hate by the state through the Bush regime, um, just like the Trump regime, um, we were facing policing, mass incarceration in the South, the privatization of prisons that was rampant, and the level of hate against queer and trans and our our community, women, you name it. Much of what's happening today, but I, I feel that we were experiencing a psychic spiritual crisis at that time. And we had to listen, just like Alexis Gums's piece in the book speaks to what did Harriet Tubman have to listen to when she heard the call for transformation? What did Kindred Collective have to listen to to hear the call for transformation? And what do we need to listen to now? And so seriously, Michelle, I'm in deep practice and in relationship to what do I listen to from my ancestors? Where do I go to be in ceremony with land, spirit, culture, to understand I am one being in this cosmos and where where I begin to transform has to be in relationship to place. Wow, Care Page. Wow. I love I love this question. And I, I do want to name that the moment that we're in is extremely disorienting for me personally. And I think it's disorienting for a lot of people. And sick and disabled people, specifically Black and Indigenous sick and disabled people, neurodivergent people, been knowing all the things that we're currently 
a lot of us, right, who have privilege around ableism, what a lot of second disabled people have been saying, right? And so I do think there's a way that what has been horrifying to me is that for a brief moment, we all got aligned, right? Because COVID was this collective experience. But as soon as we were able to distance ourselves from those who are most vulnerable in our community to get ours, people moved in that way. And I think some of what um, keeps me present is to know that that's how this works, right? This is not about individual people making individual decisions. We're making our decisions in the context of structural violence, right? In the context of racial capitalism and in the context of forces that have literally been trying to take our communities out for hundreds of years. And so when we think about what is our role? How do we intervene? What is the work that I can do to resist that violence? It does, for me, require looking at the places where I've made similar choices, right, to abandon people because for my own individual comfort. Some might call me a, a pessimist. I'm not. I'm just like, people are going to people, <laughs> you know? And I know that when I listen to and study the stories of other times in history where folks had to make decisions that weren't popular, right, for our collective survival, I imagine that the, uh, those ancestors also felt this sense of being disoriented, right? And to, to call to call upon Mama Moses again, Harriet Tubman, what, what is our North Star? And so I think in addition to listening to my people, listening to the ancestors, it's also about getting really clear about what is my destiny and what is the work that I'm here to do. And asking that question has led me to things I never thought I would do, like helping to write a book, <laughs> right? That was not ever on the, that was not on my life plan. It was not on my bucket list. It's not a thing that I felt inspired to do. And because I was listening, right? Because I was looking at my contribution, what is needed and because I'm moving with people who are also like, hey, like there's a different way to do this. That helps me feel really grounded. It helps me feel really grounded. And some people in our community are very much not recovering from this moment. And we're still losing a lot of people. And I refuse to turn away from that. And I, I can have compassion for why others struggle with that. But we're not going to get out of this mess if we don't increase our collective ability to be present with like actual reality. Um, but we need strategies to do that, right? Because, you know, in particular, when I'm thinking about um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities, I have a lot more hope that we're trying to move together. We're trying to move in ways that are more life affirming, but we need to actually develop out the spaces, the practitioners, and the political alignment to intervene around how trauma is moving through us and our work and to be accountable collectively for what that requires. And so I think a lot of what we're up to in the book is like, here are so many examples of other folks doing this work so that we can actually intervene around the isolation. I don't feel disoriented when I know, oh, I'm part of a ecosystem, I'm part of a lineage. Um, but the state wants us to, to feel like we're separate and that we're out here by ourselves. And so, the collective nature of this project is a is an intervention around staying present. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate what you both have spoken to around this book as an intervention, this work, this practice as an intervention, and what 
you all named in, in um, different ways around the ancestors and listening and that we are part of an ecosystem, right? And part of a lineage <laughs> and the way that, that the state and dominant culture and supremacy want us to believe that we're separate and how then those, those systems thrive in response to us being under-resourced, not cared for, and believing we're separate, but knowing something counter to that, I feel like inside, right? And I meet people all the time in spaces who feel like, who don't remember they're part of an ecosystem. And so I just think that's such a powerful, in, in all the ways we can think about ecosystem, but a powerful image for me that you offered around ecosystem to think about the lineage we're a part of. Earlier, Erica, you spoke to ancestors and and people have moved through moments like this before and early on during COVID, i was outside walking my dog jasper and i had a i don't know what it was a feeling a memory something but i was thinking about my grandmother dorothy who transitioned in 2017 and i had this feeling of like oh dorothy lived through something like this and that's in your body, Michelle. And so not that you know what to do at this moment in time, but there's some wisdom running through your body, your blood connected to your grandmother and other ancestors. And it was this reminder of what you said that ancestors have traversed and people lineages have traversed moments like this. And it, it was like a calling my attention to that in this very embodied way, because it was a physical experience and memory of that which I think is, it was, it's, was sort of like a reorientation or a pivot or a, again, not that I knew what to do, but a like, oh wait, you're not just Michelle, right? You're, you're, you're Clara, your mother and Dorothy, your grandmother and Angie, your great grandmother and all of that's in you. And there's some wisdom about how to show up at this time that they can offer. And so my, my question, and you all have called in and I think called up ancestors a few times in this conversation and, and I, ancestors are weaved in throughout healing justice lineages. And I'm curious if your ancestors visited you as you wrote this book. And I say this as somebody who's written books and had like dreams about my grandmother or had to build altars about the people I was writing, like I was getting directives. So I'm curious to know how the oracles or your ancestors, they're present now, but showed up for you as you as you put this together in, in the physical manifestation of a book I can hold. If that even happened for you, I don't know. I imagine it did because they feel so present to me the way you all have spoken about ancestors, but I'd love for you to share some about that. You know, one of the primary guides for this project is Harriet Tubman and she made her presence known early on very clearly. And the way the book came to be is we actually intentionally went on the land on the Eastern shore of Maryland where she was born and then proceeded to liberate herself and many other people to be on that land, to be on those waterways, right? To make offering and to actually think about how we were envisioning the process for the book in this region that is so central to this person who's so central to the project. There, I'm thinking also about um, the ancestors that we named, the the ancestors that we named in the book, and the process by which I think um, they came to us, we wanted to hear from them. We were really open, right? My mother in particular is always very present, but I think I have some ancestors who were probably writers 
um, who guided me because I'm, I'm like writing, I'd just rather talk. It's just so much easier. But I think that there are the times where I felt the most stretched. Um, I know that their presence really helped keep me grounded and, and also kept me like in the process. Because as you know, when you birth a book, it's an undoing, right? It's an undoing. And the things that got undone were very unexpected. <laughs> and of course, like very expected at the same time. We made space for them. We made space for them. We engaged in divination to be in conversation with them. And so we didn't have to wait because they were just like, I felt like they were right alongside us. And not only guiding us, but I felt so much celebration. And I still feel so much celebration. And like, yes, like, keep doing what you're doing. And that kind of support is really helpful because when you're dealing in the human realm, there's just a lot of places where doubt can can come into play. And then also folks trying to kind of take you off course. And so it's really, it feels really central to this project, but also to Healing Justice to make space for the ancestors and to be in right relationship with our technologies to do so. Ah, uh, yes, and yes. That was beautiful, Erica. I'm sitting in the unraveling <laughs> of this um, this uh, manifestation of our ancestors, and I I do I do want to say here that when healing justice, when I was sitting with elders who are no longer on this planet, predominantly Black women organizers in the South. Uh, birth workers and spiritual practitioners. I'm a little bit choked up even thinking about it. Asking their permission and requesting their wisdom on what our people did to survive uh, slavery gen and genocide. <laughs> I'm serious. Like to take that question and lay it down with elders in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was asking. How do we honor the grief of losing freedom fighters to execution and infiltration in our in our movements? How do we even begin to understand how we have survived slavery? I mean, and these questions were moving through me in, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, before Kindred Collective came to be a body of people sitting with these questions. And then it moved into asking, what are the recipes and ruse we have used literally as medicine of our people, our ancestors, um, to survive the conditions of this country? So here we are in the 21st century, and I truly believe this book came out of that trajectory, right? Of those questions. And many of those people I sat with have passed. They are no longer. And a few of those people are still here and they say to me, girl, you are onto something, but we just didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, there are some people are like, we don't have time to talk about generational trauma. We got to keep it rolling. And I was like, wait. But the thing is, we're really not rolling because we're really tired. We're exhausted and we're moving with a burden and we're harming each other because we are not talking about how this is impacting our lives, right? 
And I just have to say, and I tell this to Erica often, this was allowed in therapy to talk about, or therapists could tell you about trauma, but for community, people of color to come together in the South and say, hold up, generational trauma is deeply impacting our lives. What does that mean, right? And how have our ancestors survived? What? So I just want to offer like that. That's no, that is no slight. That is, that is not a light lift. And we are just carrying forth that same kind of tradition and trajectory. And I will lay it down here, deep respect um, to my father, who was an abuser, who caused immense violence in our home and went through a, a huge metamorphosis with, with me, with his family, with himself, and taught me how to witness transformation over time right? That you curing, we're not trying to cure, fixing, not trying to fix, sitting in the fire of interpersonal, communal, sexual, structural violence in our communities will take generations. And if we are not witnessing not only our living experience, but honoring the experience of ancestors and what they went through, this will take a long time. And so this book merely adds to that conversation, that canon of books that ask, how are we going to survive? How are we going to love? How are we going to liberate ourselves and each other? And who will we draw from? And what will we leave behind that we don't need? And what will we imagine as a Black, radical, global South tradition? Yes, thank you, Erica and Kara. Well, one, I could like stay on here forever. That's one thing. And it's not what we're doing today. Um, and I feel nourished by your wisdom. So thank you, deep bow and deep gratitude. And I want to ask, I'm going to ask you both questions and you can decide which one you want to answer because both they're different. One is the undoing that you named. I have a question about one thing you learned about yourself as you wrote and put together Healing Justice Lineages, your book. And if that question doesn't resonate, the other question, and you can answer both if you want, is what is your dream for this book? I like to ask that because we are in community and people will be listening to this and I want people to hold that dream with you and us. And so that's where that question is coming from um, because it is alive as we spoke about and dynamic and evolving over time. So I'd love to know something you learned about yourself as you were engaged in this process of writing this book. And then if you want to share a dream you have for this or hold for this book, body of work, practice, way of being and living, I would love to hear that. And we can answer both? You can. I don't know why I was giving you a choice. We have to, you can answer both. <laughs> I was just being, I don't know what I was doing. I will always push the limits, so I appreciate <laughs> you. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, yeah, I can start with, um, I got very excited when you said, what is your dream for this book? This is an invitation for us to really lean in to the possibilities of, of building collective care 
as a political and spiritual imperative for our community's survival. And I mean that in all the ways, right? Like we could talk to you about the on the ground strategies of all the organizations in this book that are elevated and the many more we'll meet along the tour, the cultural memory and listening tour. But I also mean it in the most broad and expansive ways as if this book can catalyze people to think about their own relationship to collective care that could actually transform trauma in our generation or for the next generations, I think that is a powerful idea to imagine that we could do that um, and do that with the deep understanding that there are insider and outsider strategies. There are ways to dismantle the medical industrial complex while still being inside the medical industrial complex trying to survive it. Um, there are ways to imagine this as farmers to understand our medicines and the role of taking care of our seeds. I mean, there are so many trajectories here, right? Again, land, bodies, spirit, culture. Care is in many, many things. And so for me, how this has changed me, wow. I think I'm still sitting with how the book is still changing me and I want to say for myself as a cultural worker, as a practitioner of sound and memory work, I've done, a, I, I see myself as a memory worker. I think healing justice is memory work to trust our spirits and intuition to guide us to remember our care strategies and traditions, I think is, is revolutionary. But as I'm sitting with my own evolution of how this book is changing me, I'm still trying to tap into ways I still limit myself with my own internalized ableism around what care can look like as I age, what care looks like for my body as it changes and I begin to live with a disability, what it looks like in COVID times. I, it's, it is a a seriously transformative process to remember that care is not static and the iter may the new iteration of healing justice look so much more expansive than what we could ever dream when we started to manifest its possibilities. I'm humbled. Mm, thank you, Kara. Wow. My dream for this book is that I want people to put themselves in the story of this lineage. My dream for this book is that people critically engage with healing justice as a framework and think about how does it apply? How does it not apply to your work, right? Whether that's your care work in your family, whether that's care work in your community, it does not have to be paid work, but that like, there's a lot that healing justice can offer us about this question of how are we intervening and transforming trauma um, in ways that our ancestors didn't have access to. My dream is that people who engage with this text commit to the ongoing political development that is kind of required, um, which is why I'm so excited about the bigger intervention and the tour that we're doing because I'm learning so much and I know I'm going to continue to learn so much by listening, but also our book is in relationship with all these other texts that are coming out now that are also documenting this lineage and history and really trying to sharpen us collectively. I think that 
our ancestors really, the things they left for us, they want us to use them, right? And it feels like an act of disrespect sometimes to not use them. And a book is one way, but we know a lot of our peoples, especially Black, Indigenous people, the oral tradition is so central, right? So how are we creating a lot of different ways for people to contribute to the bigger story of how not only we survive, but how we get free together. And I think most of my undoing is around that, is around, I, I think for a long time, I was like, okay, this is an offering for community. And I actually didn't center myself at all. Like, I, I think I'm learning that, oh, the book is for me. Like, I actually need this book. <laughs> Because I have to go to the doctor and I have to engage with the medical industrial complex. And it would be really nice if some practitioners were rooted in healing justice, right? <clears throat> As a person who is an organizer and who's experienced burnout a number of times, like I need our movements to realign ourselves around this question of healing justice, collective care and safety. And so, you know, these pieces around our own healing and how we do that together. Um, I think that I'm going to feel so much less isolated if more of us are in this conversation. Um, but it's, it's been a doozy and, and Kara, I love how you named that you're still sitting in some of that, the wisdom because yeah, I feel very done over. I feel like in a good place around the work, it's like, it's hard work, but it's the right work. But there were times in the writing process in particular where I was like, is this the right word? Because, and I had to have some serious eye-rolling moments with the ancestors, like, at the altar, like, y'all, if you want me to do this, like, you, I need this specific kind of help because it's really hard to stay in these processes that are, you're not just writing a book. <laughs> that's, not what, that's not what's happening here. Um, we really committed to being conduits and to bring forth messages and to bring as many of our people with us on the journey. And that kind of long-term organizing and spiritual and care work, it, it, it requires everything that you have. So um, I think it's been cool to actually see my own evolution in the process. And I know I'm going to get undone many more times through this process, but at least I survived <laughs> the first one. <laughs> Thank you, Kara and Erica. And Erica, I'm so glad you said it's not just like writing a book. It's such a the way you're writing and specifically the the work and practice you all have written about and and brought others into it's and I felt that way when I've written books. I'm like a channel and messages are coming through and I'm having dreams about it and really you want me to say that message or do it in that way? And I mean it is a journey in a way that I'm not sure folks always understand. So I appreciate you. There's a lot of resonance when you named that, Erica, about your process around this and undoing also as an ongoing journey as this is to this practice of healing justice. Um, and I wanna just offer deep appreciation to you all for being in community and conversation with me today. And also having you all having been on this path for, um, a long time and continuing on um, and calling us into this intervention, um, which feels necessary. So thank you, thank you, thank you um, for this conversation and for your book, which is bigger than a book um, and for your practice and for just being who you are and for 
listening to, to the ancestors. Thank you so much for, for being here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.